Uh, tonight, I wanted to take some time to just um, share my story, share a little bit about who I am, a little bit of my testimony. Um, I think it's important that before we dive, just dive into the word uh, the next few days, you kind of get a little bit of context of kind of who I am, where I'm from, what the Lord has done in my life, His faithfulness um, in my life. Um, and so uh, the, the, re- the, the theme of the retreat is abide and, uh, no, abound and abide, abide and abound. Um, and so I think as we navigate through that theme of abide and abound throughout the weekend, and we kind of dive a little bit on it uh, today, um, just so you can have an idea of what we're going to be talking about uh, the next few days. Uh, tomorrow morning we'll be talking about how uh, we can abide and abound in Christ when He becomes our greatest possession. Uh, tomorrow night we're going to talking up, we're going to be talking about uh, remembering that God is a God that remembers the covenant with His people. And later on Sunday we're going to talk about how Jesus teaches us to abide and abound with Him through one another. Uh, with a sermon titled uh, Under the Oil Press, and we'll be talking about that on Sunday. But today, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about just my testimony and what the Lord has done in my life. This is what I've done. I divided my life in five decades. Yes, um, as Pastor Ulysses has said, I'm the same age as he is. And so I've divided by five decades from, from 40 to 50, that's still ongoing. Uh, so that will be decade number five. Um, and so and I'm just going to kind of start talking about um, just kind of my life. So if you could show a picture of my family, that's my family, just so you get to know a little bit about us. Obviously, that's my wife. Her name is Jennifer. She was born in Pusan, Korea, but she uh, was raised um, in Michigan. Like this. Um, and so, any Michigans? Where are you from? That's where she was from, Troy Michigan. Uh, she went to the Kamikyo head, Troy Michigan. Did you, did you go to any church in Troy? Uh, it was like a small thing. Okay, okay, okay. And so she went like, uh, yeah, she is from Troy. Um, uh, that's me, I'm Puerto Rican. Uh, I'm born and raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, that's my son Timothy. Uh, he's 16. He'll be 17 in two weeks. That's Abigail. She's 13, and that's our daughter Olivia. She's so much younger than the rest because she was born after we came back from Colombia. Um, we were doing missions there, and so while we were in Colombia, we didn't have kids. And so um, I don't know why actually, but um, but then we were like, oh, why don't we have a third one? When we came back, and then we had Olivia. Um, but we call ourselves the Korean family because we're half Koreans, half Puerto Ricans. And so, but because my wife is Korean, she goes first, so Korean. Oh. So then it became our family. But I was born and raised in Puerto Rico. Um, my mom, she's a white Puerto Rican. My dad is a black Puerto Rican. And so you got you get this guy right here. Um, uh, and so, however, I. I moved to New York, well, my parents moved to New York a month after I was born. My parents, uh, they, my mom kind of grew up in the church. Uh, my dad was kind of in and out. Um, they met, they um, had sex before marriage, and I was born out of wedlock. Um, and it became like a pretty big scandal in our family. But then when they saw my cute face, they kind of forgot about this scandal. <laughs> so um, that's what my grandma said. And so, but it was just a big scandal. Uh, after a month old, my parents took me to New York. And we, I lived in New York for, my, for the first five years. I actually went to kindergarten in Queens. Um, uh, I remember, still remember our address. It was 142nd Street, Fosh Boulevard. But I have no idea where that is. I was just told that I needed to memorize that. And so um, I went to kindergarten uh, in New York, and when my kindergarten was done, and this is my first decade, from zero years to one year old, until no, from zero years to 10 years old, um, we suddenly, my mom picked up our bags and we moved to Puerto Rico. And she took my, myself and my sibling, my younger sister, Shaleen, uh, who is 10 months younger than I am, I am the oldest of six, 
um, I have four other siblings that are from the same parent. My dad remarried later, and we'll, we'll get to that uh, a little later today. Um, and I have a younger brother, uh, who I am like 23 years older than him, um, from his second marriage, so I'm the oldest of six. And so, at the time, just my sister and I, we were born, and all of a sudden, I just realized that my, my mom kind of picked up the bags and took us from Puerto Rico, from New York, all the way to Puerto Rico, to my real grandfather, that's another story, between my step-grandfather and my grandmother, to my real grandfather that I had never met. Um, a few months later, my dad came along. I found out later on, uh, when I was a much older, that my mom was running away from my dad because my dad had committed adultery and had been unfaithful to my mom. And so my mom had tried to give him like breaks. And so eventually my dad came, they reconciled. And so we started growing up as a family. Typical, this was in the 1980s. Anybody remember the 80s? <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> um, and so, uh, fun time, but I just grew up typical 80s, 90s kid in Puerto Rico, very different than what it would look like here in America. Um, but I grew up very, very poor in Puerto Rico. My dad made about $1.25 an hour. Uh, he worked at like this notebook place. My mom didn't work. She started to get pregnant and give birth to kids, and she had five kids. Um, and so it was, I remember when I was about eight or nine years old, my mom about to commit suicide while she was pregnant. I remember she went to the top of the house that we were living and just kind of standing over the edge um, uh, because she just couldn't take any more the situation of our family. And so we kind of grew up in this environment. Me being that young, I didn't fully understand what was going on until later on as I thought about the past. I realized oh, kind of a lot of things started to uh, make uh, a lot of sense. And so, um, Puerto Rico, you know, people play in the streets, think about like the islands, kind of like countries like that. Um, our house was right on a septic tank, and that septic tank was always over flooding. And so we played with the septic waters. That's kind of like how we grew up. And so the way we would play, we wouldn't bathe in it, obviously. We're not that dumb. But we would just walk on it and put cement cinder blocks and we would just kind of play tag as we jumped and whoever fell on the water lost in many different ways. And that's just kind of like, that's just kind of how we, uh, we played. Uh, we played, you know, things like that. Um, and so uh, one of the things that is very common in Puerto Rico and in New York, they have this a lot, it's called bodegas. Um, and they're just kind of little corner stores, right? right? Corner stores, so they have them all over Puerto Rico, of course. But there's something very typical when it comes to bodegas, is that they usually have a notebook where they write down everything that you owe. Oh, I think I, oh, okay. Everything that you owe, and so you kind of go, it's kind of like a tab. And so like usually your parents will send you and they say, hey, tell Mr. Fernando to let me get some chicken and I'll pay him next week. And so they kind of run a tab. And so, um, uh, what my dad would do is that he didn't want to go because since he was like a grown man, after a lot of times kind of running that town for a long time, he would just send us. And so I just remember kind of growing up, kind of going to the store and the store, and then I didn't understand fully. I just remember that our tab was many pages. <laughs> and so eventually I remember the owner saying, I am so sorry, but tell your dad that I cannot let you take any more food. And so like, I just remember a lot of these things kind of growing up. That built in me a sense of, a, in a very unhealthy way of kind of responsibility and disappointment, a disappointing person, like as an older brother, like, oh, I couldn't convince him to kind of help us. And so that just kind of built different things in my mind that I just kind of struggled with uh, later on. But I learned though um, that I could literally ask for anything I want in the bodega in the name of my father or my grandfather, they will give it to me. And so at the age of 10 years old, me and my buddies went to Mr. Fernando and we said, 
hey, my grandfather wants a six-pack of Budweiser. <laughs> Can you give it to us? Sure, no problem, run out of the tab. And I began to drink at 10 years old. Uh, it's still illegal in Puerto Rico to drink at 10 years old. And Puerto Rico drinking, uh, you can start at 18. Some of you are like, hallelujah, no, it's not good, okay? But uh, the legal age to drink in Puerto Rico is 18 years old. But everybody can come across to things since they were very young. So I started at a very young age to drink. And I started working at the age of 10 years old. I became a paper boy. So now we're going to my, my second decade. And so I had to become a, uh, kind of have some kind of an income because I needed to just fund myself. And though I couldn't necessarily help the family uh, financially, at least I could uh, take care of myself financially. And so uh, at the age of 10, I started drinking, I started smoking, I started hanging out with a bad crowd. My grandma would still take me to church once in a while so I could hear the gospel. She was really on fire for the Lord. Um, she was a very charismatic Pentecostal, tongue speaking, like, and sometimes angry grandmother. <laughs> um, and so, uh, very passionate for Jesus. Uh, but she would take me to church, but it was nothing was really sinking in um, for me. Uh, but she really believed that the Lord had plans for me. When I was four years old, I don't remember this, this is what they say. They say that when the service was over in church, I would run to the door and I would stand right next to the pastor, shake everybody's hand, and tell everybody, when I grow up, I'm gonna be a pastor. When I grow up, I'm gonna be a pastor. And like, okay, here I am, I'm gonna be a pastor. Um, and so my grandma always felt like she really needed to make sure that she fostered just the gospel in my life since I was very young um, because she really believed that God had a calling in my life. I didn't see it, but um, she did. And so at 10 years old, I began to drink, smoke, uh, hang out with the wrong crowd, um, and she was introduced to pornography, and I uh, just begin to be very active in that. Nowadays, we have videos and TV and like magazines. I mean, uh, internet, but back then it was just magazines. And so we would like steal it or whatever. And so I won't go into too much detail on that. But, um, but that's kind of like how, um, how kind of this early kind of decade for me started. Um, I also got into a lot of fights when I was in Puerto Rico. So it's very typical and very common for there to be a lot of street fights. Nowadays, you can't really do a lot of street fights because they just pull a gun at you. But back then, like, you just fight. And you say, I see you at three. Okay, I'll see you at three. Boom, 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 boom. Okay, we're friends now. Or something like that. You know, it's just, just very common. Um, because I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, I, uh, I was telling Pastor Ulysses, um, I was one of those students that had straight A's, but the teachers hated me because I just was very mischievous with all the teachers. And so um, some of the things I would do, like, I was kind of embarrassed to <laughs> Uh, I, I would strip in public in front of the whole school just, <laughs> just because I felt like it. Um, I have a feeling the, the MI passes are going to know about this. Is this being recorded? <laughs> um, I remember I had this, ironically, I had this teacher, who, her last name was Ulysses. <laughs> she was a Spanish teacher, I can't remember. But when she taught the class, she used to spit a lot. She spat a lot. And I sat in the front, I was just so tired of it. I gotta do something, because this is getting out of hand. You know, when somebody's spitting a lot, you can see the marks on the desk. You know? No, this is getting out of hand. I gotta do something. So I got a brilliant idea. So I showed up to school, and she, you know, like she kind of goes, okay, teachers, good morning, and she started writing the date and all that, and I was just sitting right in front. And so I pulled up an umbrella, and I opened it up, and when she faced me, I was right there in the umbrella, and I said, okay, teacher, now you can start teaching. And that was the kind of kid that I was. You know, I would just do a lot of different things. She sent me to the principal's office. She said, 
you cannot come back to school until your mom, unless your mom signs this. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll be back tomorrow. And she's like, yeah, right. I, mean, I knew how to forge my mom's signature. So I forged my mom's signature and came back and she was shocked. She was like, why are you still here? My mom said, it's okay. So that was just going to be like, a kid uh, I was. There was a math teacher, Mrs. Cruz. Um, and uh, I was flirting with this girl. I was in eighth grade or seventh grade. I can't remember. I think no, I'm sorry, ninth grade. And then and she like hit me with a ruler. And she says, stop flirting with girls and pay attention to the test. And I said, what are you done? And she's like, um, so let me see. So I went to her desk. But she, she, she hit me on my butt with the ruler. So I went to her. What's wrong? What do I look like? Anyways, I went to her and I just kind of went like this and I said, I know you just want me, teacher. And the thing is, she was like, she had no words because she was like, what do you, like, she was just kind of like giving me the smirk and then I just kind of walked away thinking I was all cool. Anyways, but that was just the kind of guy, I was just always doing like weird stuff, getting into fights and all that. But then I had straight A's, so they couldn't like kind of kick me out or something. And so um, that's what I was. But at the age of 14, I was hanging out with some guys at the corner of the neighborhood. And a guy named Titor comes with a really big Bible to preach the gospel to us. And so I remember saying, oh, here comes this Christian to bother us about the gospel. And I just want to be here with my friends and hang out. But he just started preaching the gospel and talking to us about it. We need to really give our lives to Jesus. And so I told him um, that I was going to go to church because I didn't want him to bother me anymore. And so I went to church. I went to Wednesday Bible study. And so when I walked in, the first thing I saw was pretty girls. And I said, I'm going to stay here. <laughs> That's really what happened. And so um, I stayed there for about six months, went to every service, Wednesday service, Friday service, Thursday service, Sunday service, morning and night, um, because of the girls. Um, and so, but one of those girls, on one Sunday, they were doing an altar call, and she said, Daddy, would you come with me to the front because I was scared to go by myself? I said, I don't want to go there because I'm not going to accept Jesus. And then she said, yeah, but can you, you know, can you do it for me? And I'm okay for you. <laughs> By the way, my wife knows all these things. <laughs> and it's okay for you all So I went to the front, I faked the prayer. And then um, it was customary, they would take us to like the back of like the sanctuary to kind of reintroduce the gospel to make sure that like we really said believed in it. And so they, you know, somebody took her and then the youth pastor took me and then he like preached the gospel. And I cannot explain it what happened. I just started crying because the gospel became real at that moment. And what I, the only thing I said was, hold on, Jesus really died for me? Like, I'm, a, I'm pretty bad. <laughs> And he really died for me? And then he said, yes. And I just cried because I was like, so he wants to forgive me. And I was, and he was like, yes. And I just cried. And I was like, how can I reject a God that loves me that much? And I didn't, of course, didn't understand everything about the gospel. But it just really, it just impacted my life. I couldn't believe that, uh, that God could be mindful of me die for me before I was even born and then forgive me and want to give me life and want to be or have a relation with me. It just shocked me. It's still, to be honest, still to this day when I think about it, I'm still shocked that he still wants to have a relationship with me. Um, and so that changed my life. But I didn't change immediately. And it's probably what happens to many people. You become a Christian, but it just take you a little bit to change, you know? And so, but now something was different. I felt like I didn't belong in the world. Like, like I was still partying, I was still, you know, like smoking and drinking and going out with girls. 
But now I was like, what am I doing? And why do I feel like this is wrong? <laughs> like something didn't feel right. And I remember I was in this party and I was like slow dancing with this girl 1980s style. You know, like, you know, like, you know, I don't know. But you know, when you're like, you know, like. But I remember thinking like, what am I doing here? You know, what am I doing here? Like, to a, and I remember thinking, if I'm gonna follow Jesus, I gotta take it just as serious as he took the cross. That's what came to mind. It wasn't complicated, it was very simple. And then, and then, but I realized that I was just two and two my friends. And so um, I resolved that summer, I became a Christian on January 17, 1992, I think, that year. And then that summer I resolved the only way I'm gonna be able to overcome is if I change friendships. And you know, the Bible said that bad company corrupts good morals. And so um, I cannot hang out with the, this crowd because I am too weak right now to be able to be around them. I wanna be able to reach out to them, but I was too weak in order to be around them and not fall into temptation. And so I hung out with the foremost Christian girls from the church. <laughs> I'm talking about like long skirt, you know, like long sleeve, like like the ones that cover everything, and they just kind of going around in school, and I'm just kind of following them. <laughs> and I just that's just what I did, and so I decided. I remember thinking, I'm just talking, I'm just sitting there, and I'm just I don't know what to do. Like, and so I had a brilliant idea. I said, have you guys thought about making a Bible club? And they're like, oh, that sounds cool. Okay, you guys wanna lead it? No? Do you want me to lead it? <laughs> yeah, you can lead it, okay. And so we started a Bible club. And so we started a Bible club, I started preaching heresy. Um, <laughs> I, I really didn't. I just knew something. Jesus loves you and he died for you. Everything else, I just made it up. <laughs> and the Bible club went from five to 10 to 20 to 30. I don't know who they were converting to. <laughs> I hope it was Jesus. <laughs> but we were just like worshiping and just singing and just, and then I just, I don't know. But um, <laughs> at the age of 16, um, the pastor of the church felt that I was called into ministry and he felt like, I don't know what it is, but he was saying, there's something about you and I feel like God is calling into ministry. So he began to kind of disciple me and, and teach me and take me under his wings. And then he said, hey, why don't you preach some Sunday nights? I'm 16. Like, what am I gonna preach? Right? My first sermon was on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> and how we shouldn't watch that because it is sin. <laughs> my first sermon. And everybody was laughing, I think, because they just thought it was cute. I don't think it was any conviction. And so, and, yeah, anyways, but that's how I started. That was my, that was my pastor preaching career. Uh, 16 years old, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I wish I had that sermon, but we, we weren't recording sermons back then. Um, but that's how I started. Um, now, I grew up in a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but uh, at a cessationist Baptist church, you know what, you know, you're familiar with that term? They, they don't believe in, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that they are for today. And so I kinda, uh, that's why I became a Christian, but I grew up very Pentecostal with my grandmother. And so um, I, I was struggling a little bit at the Baptist church because during prayer meetings, I wasn't speaking in tongues, but I was very passionate and I was like, you know, I was like very passionate on that to the point that the pastor one day, he tapped me on the shoulder. He's like, hermanito, my little brother, you need to calm yourself, you mean a little too Pentecostal. And I'm like, I don't know how else to do it. <laughs> and I, I don't, like, but there was always a struggle in me, like why, why do we have to choose either being sound in the word or being powerfully spirit-filled? Why can't it be both? And that kind of like battle began really early, but I never knew anywhere or anything that felt that those two could be held together. 
I'm taking to EMI. And, and, like, and then I was like, radical metal? That's a thing? Oh my good, hallelujah. <laughs> and so, but all my life I really struggled with that. But while I was at that church, even though I had these experiences, I was really for not speaking in tongues and nothing about the Holy, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But my mom, who was not going at the church at the time, but grew up Pentecostal, she told me, you gotta go to a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna take you out of that church and put you in a church like that. And I fought and fought and fought with my mom. The pastor came to the house, talked with my mom. Eventually, she said, he said, the Bible said you gotta be your parents, you have to go. So I went to another Baptist church that believed in the works of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I was 17 years old. And before I went to the first service, I had a meeting with the pastor. And the, you know, the Bible is true when it says that when it comes to the pastoral ministry, they shouldn't be a novice because they'll get puffed up. I was pretty puffed up. Um, and I had a meeting with the pastor from that new Baptist church. His name is Jose Carlo Castro. I went to visit him uh, last year. And um, he humbly gave me an audience to meet, with, to meet with him. And I said, I just want to let you know that I don't believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And every Sunday I'm going to prove to you that you're wrong and that I'm right. I'm 17. <laughs> That's a lot of stupid confidence. <laughs> but then I spoke in tongues. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. <laughs> um, now during that time, um, there was something going on with my mom and my dad that I didn't really understand until later. My dad again became very unfaithful to my mom. For five years, my mom tried to make it work. And she forgave him over and over and over again. And my, until she couldn't do it anymore. And at that time, she picked up her bags and she left with my three youngest siblings and left my, me and my, my other sister um, in Puerto Rico with my dad. And uh, uh, so she came to the United States, to Florida. Uh, I was maybe like 19 or 18 years old. I was in college, and, um, and I will never forget the first weekend after my mom left. Um, I, I used to live kind of like on campus in an apartment, and then on the weekends that I didn't play tennis for the school, I would come to, um, I would come home. And I would never forget coming home, waking up the next morning, and this lady comes out of my mom's bedroom <laughs> making breakfast. I'm like, who are you? She gives me her name. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> oh, I'm basically your dad's mistress. And then my dad hears my voice. He comes out of the room and in a very authoritative, assertive voice. He said, I want to let everyone know that from now on, we're going to be a family. And I'm like, how? I remember thinking, how am I supposed to be a Christian? <laughs> and how do I do this? How do I deal with this? And so um, that became a very difficult time in my life, trying to understand and figure out how do I love someone that I hate? I don't know how to explain that, but that's the best way I can say it. And so, um, because at that moment I was, I had really all these feelings towards my dad and towards this woman. Uh, during that time, my sister started to really struggle a lot, and she started to have boyfriends, and she had a baby out of wedlock. The boyfriend left her, and so, um, so she, uh, honestly, I ended up taking care of the baby. And then all of a sudden, my dad one day woke up and said, I'm leaving the mistress, I'm gonna make up with your mom. Um, you guys are on your own, and you left us. <laughs> And so we were left in Puerto Rico, uh, nowhere to live, 
and then somebody allowed us to live in their home for a short time because he wanted to reconcile with my mom. And so it was myself, my sister, and the new baby. And so my grandmother heard this, who was already in America, in Florida, and she flew to Puerto Rico to try to take care of us until we can finish college and then go back to the States. And in the meantime, my mom was here in the United States. And so my grandma went to Puerto Rico. We were able to um, uh, kind of like finish that year of college. Or at least I did it. My sister found another boyfriend, um, and that's another story. And she went with him and eventually married him and then divorced him, and that's another story. But then I went to America and, and, and came here at the age of 20, 20 almost 21 years old. Um, now, when I first came, I lived under my with my grandparents because my mom couldn't afford having me in the house, and so I lived with my grandparents. And so I did what most immigrants like do, like my grandparents, they clean houses. And so I went and cleaned houses with them. I went and cleaned stores with them. And then I was like, I need to do something more. And so I helped them clean, but then I started working in Old Navy and retail, and I said, I gotta do something more. And then I, I wanted to like go back to school, but I couldn't because I needed residency because it was too expensive. Then I did telemarketing that I did floor crystallization, that I did home improvement. Um, and then eventually I was able to find a job um, in financing, um, more specifically accounting, where I worked for um, many, many uh, years. Um, but that's how I started. Certain things I remember from my 20s. Um, I was t 20 years old, um, I turned 21, my grandma, I didn't have any friends, so my grandma invited her old friends to celebrate my birthday. <laughs> Um, and so the way, the way she announced my birthday with, um, she was very proud actually of this. She said, this is my grandson, everybody meet him. He just turned 21 and he's a virgin. <laughs> and I was like, great. <laughs> That's how we're gonna start my, my 21 birthday. Um, now, uh, soon after that, uh, I think that, I say that intentionally because it, it did something to me uh, because of the embarrassment that I felt, that I felt like I, I even though I was a Christian, I felt like I, I didn't want to be a virgin anymore. And so when I first came to Puerto Rico, I didn't go looking for a church, I just went to the church that my grandparents went to. But there was a Korean family there, and that's the connection to the Korean church and the Korean ministry. But I started dating that Korean girl, and the relationship became a very sexual, very sinful relationship for about three years. Um, I, I was still in worship team. Um, I was still helping with the youth. Um, I, I, I played percussion, guitar, and stuff like that. And, um, but I remember being in sin and not knowing how to get out of it. And I, I, I remember being in the bed with this girl and while she's sleeping on one side, I remember kind of looking to the wall and just asking God like, what am I doing here? Like, how do I stop this? How do I get out of this? Like have you ever, I don't know, have you ever have you ever found yourself in so much sin that you don't know how to get out of it? Um, like I was, I didn't know, I just didn't know how to stop. And um, it was a very dark moment in my life because I wasn't sure if I was saved, I wasn't sure if God loved me, I thought about my calling and I wasn't sure if I was still called. I really struggled and um, and I didn't want to pray, I didn't want to read the Bible, but every Sunday I was still worshiping the front, you know. Um, but hopefully horrible, horrible. Um, and then one day, long story short, I get invited to the Korean church um, to a youth retreat. Now, this is just me being ignorant. I'm from the islands. I've never seen Asian other than movies and my girlfriend. 
And when I heard that, this sounds very dumb, but I had never heard that they, they, that they were Asians that could be Christians. And when I heard that an entire church what that was Asians were Christians, I was like, I need to see this. <laughs> I know it sounds dumb, but I just never seen anything like that in my life. And so when I walked in, all these people were worshiping God, and they're like on fire, and then like, and then morning prayer, like, and they're like, Hana dulce, chule, chule. And I was like, oh my gosh, everybody's like praying. And I'm like, I was so in love with the church. I was like, I cannot believe that the gospel came to Asia. <laughs> I know it sounds dumb, but it was just, you know, from the islands, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't see this, you know, and I was like, this has to be my church. I got to make this my church, and I made that church my church, and so um, I started going to the church. I was still struggling with this girl. I didn't know how to break up with her. I didn't know how to stop this, um, and her cousin, who was a youth pastor, intervened, and he told me, as much as I love you, you cannot marry into my family because my family is crazy. And I love you too much to be, and I know you're sinning, this needs to stop. And I don't, I don't know how, I can't remember, but he helped me to get out of the situation. He helped me to really break free and to be restored back again before the Lord. But one of the things that I, that, that opened up a lot of things on pornography and a lot of, you know, like, you know, one of the most destructive things of pornography is the perception that it creates on your future wife. You know, because, you know, one of the things, this might be a tangent, sorry, but maybe it speaks to somebody, but, you know, one of the things that, that I struggle a lot in, in marriage when it comes because of pornography is that you think that that's how marriage is supposed to be. You know, intimacy in marriage, you think that it's supposed to be like in the movies and you forget that they're just actors. And then you kind of have this expectation on your wife to be like that. And so, and so it creates a, a desensitizing on yourself, you know, sexually that just affected my wife. And I'll get it, hopefully I can get into that later. I don't want to be too long. I don't know what, how much time I have. But, um, but uh, I started to really dive into pornography because if I can't have sex, for real, then I should just might as well do the other thing. And so, um, and that was a huge struggle, but I remember during that time, some of you might relate with this. You know when you like, you sin and you ask for forgiveness and then you sin again, you ask for forgiveness and you sin again, it's a back and forth, right? Eventually, what do you do? You stop asking for forgiveness, right? Because you're like, if I'm not gonna change anyway, why waste my time and waste God's time? And so that was my thought. And so I just stopped praying, I just stopped seeking the Lord. And so I remember playing um, Age of Empires. Like, you know, anybody remember that? Anyway, I'm just, hey, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. You know? I'm, just, I'm just like you guys. It's not much different, you know. I would play Age of Empires, Starcraft, that's really old school, you know. Um, this is before WoW came out, you know, this is before League of Legends came out. This is way before. This is like the OG of like, you know. Um, and so I'm just playing and just, and I remember playing for like, I don't know, seven hours straight. Just like playing, playing. Hey, all you gamers, you know that's nothing. You know that's nothing. <laughs> Anyways, I was playing like for a long time. <laughs> And I kid you not, I hear the I I hear what I believe was the Holy Spirit voice speak to my heart, saying, "When are you going to come back to me?" And I remember kind of pausing the game, and I was kind of trying to win against Attila the Hunt on Age of Empires. <laughs> you know, that's kind of you guys remember it, anyways. So, and I remember stopping, that's how I remember it. And, and I remember stopping and I'm like, I remember that you get to engage with the Lord as a Lord, like, I don't know what to say. And then I just felt like he was saying, just don't say anything. 
to stay with me. And so I just kind of like, you know, turned off the computer, knelt down on my bed. I just, I don't know, maybe for like 10 or 15 minutes, I was just there. And all of a sudden, I just started crying. I started crying, I started crying. And I was like, Lord, I don't know how to overcome. I don't know how to have victory. I don't want to do this. Because I know, you know I'm going to fall again. You know I'm going to fail again. And then the verse that immediately came to mind was when Peter told Jesus, to whom else am I going to go when you're the only ones who have the words of life? And that became life to me. Because what I, when I felt the Holy Spirit was, spoke, was speaking to me and what came up out of that, when that verse came to mind, I, I really, I, this is what I told the Lord. Lord, okay, I know I'm going to fail. And I know you know I'm going to fail. But I don't know, I don't have anywhere else to go. I don't know what else to do. So I'm just going to keep coming back to you until I'm free. And as soon as I fail, I'm going to come back. And as soon as I fall, I'm going to come back. No matter if it's twice a day, three times a day, five times a day, I'm going to come back. No matter how embarrassed, I'm going to come back. And I did. I was embarrassed, and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But I just kept on, I just kept on repeating, where else am I going to go? I don't have anywhere else to go. You're the only one with the word of life. And I just really took that very serious. I just kept on coming, coming, coming. And little by little, year after year, I began to experience freedom. Little by little, little by little, little by little. By just coming back to the Lord. Where else was I going to go when he had the words of life? And so I served in the Korean church for about 16 years. Um, and little by little, I became a youth leader, then an elementary teacher, and then a youth pastor, and then what they call an evangelist, or a junto sanin. And then uh, I became ordained as a junto sanin, then I started seminary, and little by little, kind of like grew, met my wife. Um, and so, um, fell in love with her. Ooh, okay. <laughs> But, but, but the, way we, the way we kind of fell in love was that we did evangelism together. So she taught evangelism explosion to children. I taught evangelism explosion to youth. We did the worship together. And then that's kind of how we started, you know? Yeah. And so like, you know, and so she will say this. She liked me first. I'm not lying. That's what she said. She liked me first. I didn't like her at first. When the pastor asked me if I liked her, I said, no, never. <laughs> I should have never said never. <laughs> um, obviously, eventually, we started dating. Um, and that's like a whole story with, with a lot of struggle um, in our dating. You know, um, one, one, one evening, my wife, um, she showed up at my house when I was living with my grandmother, and she calls me, and she said, look outside, and I'm looking through my window, and my wife is there in the car. And then she's like, I already know we're going to be together. And they're like, okay, what are you doing here? <laughs> and then she said, let's elope. And then I said, what is that? <laughs> I don't know what the word elope means. And I just completely killed the mood. <laughs> she's like, you know, and I'm like, no, I really don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, when you kind of go and like, and she explained, I'm like, we can't do that. <laughs> uh, but we still got married, you know. <laughs> and so um, we got married at 27, 28. I was about 27, 28 years old. Um, and uh, our marriage, the first two or three years, was World War III. You you get a Korean and a Puerto Rican. <laughs> Stubborn, strong-headed. With a man who is filled with insecurity because of the way he grew up. And a, and a woman with a lot of daddy issues. I mean, this is a disaster. And we fought so much so much that they called the cops on us, the neighbors. And they thought I was beating up on my wife. She, she was the one beating me up. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? 
and they had two cops holding me, and then one cop being like, you okay, lady? And I said, like, this ain't right. It's, it's just a true story. Um, but that's how, how bad we fought. And, um, you know, we were, one of the requirements for us in ministry was to go to morning prayer every day. And my wife went to morning prayer every day faithfully. I went to morning prayer every day faithfully. We got married, I wake up and I say, honey, let's go to morning prayer. And I'm thinking, she's excited we can go to morning prayer together. To my surprise, she says, no. And I was like, huh? What do you mean no? Well, you think I'm gonna go to morning prayer because you said so? And I'm like, no, it's not because I said so. We go to morning prayer, I said no. And I'm like, what is going on? If you hear my wife's side of the story, for her, it was she was thinking, I've been doing this all my life by myself. I don't need a man to tell me now to go pray. All the daddy issues came out. I didn't know anything of this. And I was like, hold on one second, what's going on now? I, I, there was a lot, I felt a lot of pressure because I felt that in order for me to be accepted as a minister in the Korean church, I needed to show them that my wife was submissive to me. And so, my, <laughs> sounds dumb. Like, my wife would like become very stiff on the bed because she didn't want to go. And so I would drag her out of the bed. <laughs> and she'd become even more stiff, like dumb. And I would drag her with this really stupid stuff. And she'd fall on the floor and she'd like, <laughs> we gotta go to morning prayer. And like, I mean, it was just like really stupid. <laughs> but that's how we fought. And so I remember one morning prayer. I'm just praying and I'm like, God, I think you do me with my wife. <laughs> I think you, something is not right. Because, like, how could you do this to me? <laughs> um, and I begin to complain, I begin, Lord, like, I have never felt so much anger in my life until I met my wife. I was just praying. I had never, from the moment I became a Christian, until I got married, I had never swore in my mind. I, I never, I've never sworn to my, I've never like cursed at my wife. But in my mind, it was like I never any <laughs> ever since like we got married. And so like I told my, I told the Lord, I have never felt so much anger in my life until I met my wife. Until you brought her to me, like, she changed me. And I will never forget what the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart at that moment. God spoke to me in my heart and said, she didn't make you that way. You've always been that way. I'm just using her to draw it out. Yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, wow. It, does, it doesn't excuse my wife. She was, she was, she was, she was doing crazy stuff too. <laughs> Nevertheless, that's not the point. The point is that God was dealing with my heart. And I needed to understand that sometimes when God is dealing with your heart, you sometimes like make excuses and you try to blame others you know, for that. But he's still dealing with your heart, even though he's using somebody else in your own life to deal with your issues. And so even though they have issues and God has to deal with them, God is still dealing with your issues through them. And I, and I realized that early on in our marriage in our early 20s. And that really helped me see my wife on a different light, that God was really gonna use her to really change me. It doesn't mean it felt any better. It just gave me context and helped me realize. And so, but my wife was one of the ones that, you know, there's, there's fight or flight. My wife is flight. The moment an argument starts, she wants to pick up the keys and drive away. I'm fight, we're gonna fight, let's do it, you know? that she wouldn't, she would just try to pick up the keys. And so, um, earlier in the marriage, had a lot of problems because of that. Um, and that's basically my 20s summarized. My 30s, um, uh, I, I'm doing seminary, I'm working full-time as an accountant. I'm going to seminary full-time, I'm doing youth pastoring at the church. And uh, we feel called to the mission field. The way we felt called, I had a dream that I was gonna go to Colombia. The youth pastor had a dream, which is the pastor's son, that I was gonna to go to Colombia without us talking about it. And, um, uh, and, and 
we kind of got confirmed. If you want to hear more of the story of like how we heard about Colombia, and so uh, you can ask me later. But uh, in the 30s, we went um, to Colombia to serve there for four years, and the Lord did amazing things in our marriage, amazing things in Colombia. Um, uh, I needed to finish seminary, so I finished seminary in while I was in Colombia. Um, and the way I did it, uh, an elder gave me a, a motorcycle as a gift uh, so I could go to church. And so we went to church. I wish I had a picture, but we went to church. You probably have seen it. All four of us on the bike. So my, 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 my son in front of me, me riding the bike, my daughter Olivia as a baby, in between my wife and I, who was at the back. And that's how we went to church. Um, and so, uh, and in Colombia, and, and then it was the same bike I used to, I used to ride to finish seminary. I would ride into the nearest town for an hour, did, uh, took my classes online, went back to the farm where the base was, did all my homework, and then went back. And that's how I finished seminary. It took me about eight years to finish seminary. So if anybody's on a long track, I understand. I get you. Um, it, uh, because I was doing the ministry in Colombia because of the slow pace of it. And Colombia was an amazing training ground for, for me and my wife. The things that we were able to experience and, and the way the Holy Spirit was moving. We saw, we saw healing being manifested right before our eyes, people being healed from malaria. We saw uh, demons being cast out out uh, of people who were delivered. Um, we saw witch doctors uh, being submitted under the power of Jesus. I remember we, we brought a witch doctor to our seminary, to our Bible um, a school, and a lot of the recruiting, it wasn't because they were Christian, it was because they were leaders in the community, and we thought if we can convert them, they can lead the rest of the community to Jesus. And I will never forget, um, we were, you know, we, were, we all lived together, and while we were like in the house, you could hear things at night, like, you know, kind of things like that. Uh, like and, 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 and witch doctors kind of trying to do their thing. And I'll never forget the witch doctor coming one morning to us saying, um, who lives here? And I said, we live here. He said, no, somebody else lives here. And then we asked, okay, why? Said, because whatever I'm doing is not working. And so, and then we'd be able to explain it. Oh, I know who lives here. <laughs> Jesus lives here. And then we went to preach the gospel. The guy became a Christian, and he's currently right now a pastor in a village in the jungle uh, with a church. And so, um, but so many testimonies like this. Um, uh, but of course, a lot of crazy things happen in Gorilla Cone with the farm and the gorilla um, um, in the jungles of Colombia uh, that are also can be. Um, very dangerous as well. And so um, I, I went to this village once um, to, I was asked if I could come and teach spiritual warfare um, because they were struggling with like demonic things. And so um, I went to teach on it. And you have to understand for indigenous, it's very real. Like for us, it seems like, oh, that's like, a, like a like a spooky story, like an urban legend, but for them it's like it's like very real. Um, people do enchantments and people die, and so like for them it's like okay, this is real. So I was asked to kind of come to the village. I got there on Saturday. I was going to start on Sunday. In the middle of the night, I felt like I really had to go pee. <laughs> and so I left my tent to go walk outside to go pee. And then as I'm peeing, I see a snake coming towards me. It was about three in the morning, four in the morning. But I'm, I'm not like an overreactive person. Uh, the snake is coming toward me. And my question was like, oh shoot, a snake, let me run. My question was like, I wonder if it's poisonous or not. <laughs> because if it's not, then I can just walk around it and just, I really have to go pee. <laughs> Um, but, but as I'm there, this thing keeps coming towards me. By God's grace, one neighbor wakes up and then he tells me, you know, Pastor Dandy, or they call me Professor. Professor, what are you, what are you um, looking at? Hey, I see a snake. Is that poisonous or not? And he's like, oh my God, that's poison. They call it cuatro nariz. It literally means four noses. I don't know. 
but that's what they call it. And so he comes and then he said, we haven't seen those in 25 years. And it just arrived when I was gonna come, but that's not the crazy part. The crazy part is that while this snake was coming this way, another one was coming from this side. And they were coordinating. Snakes don't attack in coordination. And so they were coming both on this side. And so that was both scary but also encouraging because for the indigenous, what they realized was all the enemy is trying to stop what God wants to do. We can't wait to be set free. And so I remember I, I, the indigenous killed both snakes. <laughs> and I began to teach. Um, and so I began to teach Sunday by Wednesday. I went to like to, to bathe in like this pond that they had and I came out and I see like a bonfire and they were burning all the witchcraft stuff. They were burning the horse hair. They were burning amulets, as I say in English, amulets. Um, um, because they didn't want to trust or believe in those things anymore. And so these are just some of the things that the Lord just really did powerful things in, um, in Colombia. And so um, I'm about to end, I'm about to close. Uh, so um, late in my 30s, uh, I finished seminary and I really wanted to serve as a pastor in that Korean church. But the Korean denomination that I was part of had their own seminary, and I couldn't serve as a pastor at that church because they said that unless I go to their Korean seminary, I wasn't gonna be allowed to become a pastor. And so I tried. They said, we have people here that speak English, so, so I said, okay, I really wanna stay here. So I went and I tried, but I still couldn't understand. And so I told the pastor, and the pastor was really upset. Not, not at me, but at the school, because he was like, what is that? Um, eventually, long story short, um, during that time, I met Pastor Matt, who was a former pastor of Journey Church of Atlanta. And we, uh, he was already pursuing me so I could come to Atlanta to uh, be an associate pastor there. But he had given up on me because I took two and a half years before I actually said yes, because I really wanted to stay at the Korean church. And so, um, but eventually the pastor said, you know, you have to go because there's nothing here for you. And so, um, and that's how I actually ended up in Atlanta. Uh, served there as an associate pastor for about three years. Um, long story short, uh, Pastor Matt resigned and then I became interim pastor for about a year and then I'm so far, and then until and then from that moment on, I've been uh, the lead pastor of uh, Journey Church for the past um, uh, three years. And so, and that's where I am now. Now, I summarize a lot there <laughs> because that leadership transition was very difficult, and a lot of me and my pastors about that. It happened while the pandemic was going on, um, it happened while social unrest was going on. And so I am very grateful that our church did not dissipate by the grace of God, because with leadership missing, while all of these things happening at the same time, where a lot of churches actually dissolved, but, our, but God sustained our church, uh, I can only owe that to the Lord. And so by the grace of God, we're still alive as a church. By the grace of God, we've grown. Um, all because of what he, what he has done. And so, um, now I, I wanted to share this just because I want you to know me and know my context and know who I am and, and where I come from. But the, the truth is that we all have our own stories. Every one of us have our own very unique story of, of good and bad and ugly. I'm sure, I don't know if married couples have fought the way my wife and I fought, but I'm sure you fought. I know you hide it, but I'm sure you fought. Um, and then everything looks really good here, but at home is World War IV. Um, and so, um, but we all have our life. Um, 
But I wanted to share this because I want you to remember that God is faithful. And he will see you. He will sustain you. And one of the things that we need to realize in order for us to abide in Christ, first, we need to, for us to abide in Christ, um, we need to let him abound in all of our life. Areas in our life that we are sometimes too embarrassed and too ashamed to let him in. Um, but it's really hard to really abide in Christ and we're not letting him abound all these areas in our life that we want to keep him off limits. And um, you have your history with your parents, you have your own struggles right now. I know some of your singles struggle with your work life. With dating or lack thereof. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was talking with somebody earlier and I talked to people from our church as well, struggling with, you know, you turn 24, 25 years old, you start working and all of a sudden you realize, is this what I'm, what I'm supposed to do for the next 40 years? <laughs> and you're like, this ain't life. <laughs> and so, um, and if you don't, and I will share with them something that uh, King Solomon shares in the book of Ecclesiastes. Some, some can think it's a very depressive book. Somebody will say, I love that book. But um, he's teaching how meaningless and vain life is. But at the end, he just summarizes everything. He just says this. He, he gives his son an advice, and he tells his son, he says, you know, books and studies is a weariness to the soul. All of this, life sucks. This is the end. This is a matter. This is, it's all that matters in the end. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is the whole duty of man. And in a sense, what he's telling his son is, you know how life sucks? <laughs> it will keep sucking until you make God the center and the object of your life. If you do not make God the focal point of your life, your life will be meaningless. Because you're trying to fill eternity in your life, within you, with everything that is here on earth. You can't do it. And so, what do you do? Like, it, hopefully we'll talk about this, you know, throughout the year, but what do you do? You, you, you travel, you spend money, well, first, you make money. <laughs> you save money, and you don't want your bank account to be under a certain amount, right? And the moment it does, you start getting scared and worried, even the six figures. Like, you, you spend a lot of time in investments, right? And then there's the, that, that, the, the big coin and the fake coin and all the colorful coin. And, and you start to kind of all these things. And, and you start living for all these things because you're trying to fill your life with everything that is just at the end. Meaningless. And it's not that God doesn't want you to enjoy those things. It's just it's meaningless without Him. And so, and, and, and this is the thing, a lot of you are struggling with quarter life crisis. I went through midlife crisis. I'm still coming out of it. <laughs> uh, and we struggle with all these things, um, but we're still trying to fill our life with things from the world. And we're just, and we're kind of putting God on the back burner. Because we're thinking, I'm young, let me have my fun now. <laughs> and when I turn 30, get married and have kids, and I'll take it serious. But then you wasted it. Because you can be ready now and be healthy in the Lord now and abiding in Christ now. Um, so that way you can experience life that is not meaningless, but that is meaningful. Because He is the center. And, and, and I'll say one more thing on that. You know, we have to understand that, you know, God is not supposed to be the first thing in your list. He's, your whole list is supposed to be in Him. You, you following me? That's what it means to abide in Christ. Our whole life needs to be in Him. And what we have done, we make God, we, we have a list and we put God first. 
But the problem is that depending on the circumstances in our lives, God will be first to this week, and next week will be third, and the following week will be fourth, and then he will become second and first. We cannot live like that. We have to take all of our life, all of it, and put it in him. He needs to encompass all of our life because that's the only way we can abide in him and he abounds. And so, um, as we have, we have all our life, we have our different circumstances, whether it's marriage, whether it's work, whether it's school, whether it's the worriness and the concerns of our life. But what, what I would like to do is really spend some time and laying this before the Lord. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna start talk, doing some talks um, tomorrow and spending time with the Lord in light of the word that he'll bring to us tomorrow morning, night, spend some time with one another and on Sunday. But if we could right now spend some time with the Lord, just laying these things before the Lord. I don't know what your life looks like right now, but you have to be honest about your life. Where else were you gonna go? He's the only one with the words of life for you. Let's say you're in sin right now. Come to him. Just come to him. Where else were you gonna go? You're already here, right? <laughs> Make the best of it. Because he's here. And so if you're in sin, come. And just be like, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. But you gotta come before the Lord. One of the most amazing things about Job and his struggle is that he never stopped coming to God. He argued, he said what he said, he did what he did, but he would not stop coming to God. And that's the wonderful idea about Job. He just kept on coming to God. He kept on coming to God. Come to the Lord. Maybe you're feeling very like your life has no meaning, like you're sick and tired of everything. Tell that to the Lord. I am sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of this guy too. I'm sick and tired of this girl too. Come before the Lord. Whatever it is that you have to be completely open and unveil yourself to the Lord so he can come and bring the healing that you need. So you can come and bring the transformation that you need. We need to open up our hearts now so he can really begin to really transform us. You have your life. I've had my life. I still have more to live. And you have your life. But the one thing that unites us is Christ. So let's really come before the Lord and let's really uh, melt before Him. And if I can just kind of have band, just you can play anything in the background. It doesn't matter. Um, and we just kind of, just for a short time, just let the Holy Spirit minister to us and pray. I believe we have small groups afterwards, right? No, no small groups today? Okay, okay, small groups. But if we could just, just, just pray, just come to the Lord. And I'm just going to uh, initiate the prayer. And I just want you to come before the Lord and just hear His voice. Hear Him minister to you. <laughs> 